So for everything bedtime and life, really, we recommend the parent is in charge of the big stuff. What time we go to bed, when we go to bed, and what is happening in the routine. We are deciding how many books even, right? Because if we let our toddler choose how many books, they're picking 35, okay? <laughs> <laughs> and then in that, we are letting our toddler feel like they're super involved and in control with those little things. I'm Amy. And I'm Abby. And as women, we are constantly comparing ourselves to others. But your life isn't supposed to look like hers. Being your best self means standing firm in your decisions and always being willing to grow with a purpose. We get vulnerable and real with an honest look into the challenges and triumphs we all face. Every woman listening gets the opportunity to choose what life looks like for herself. Kristen and Dina of Big Little Feelings are here today, and we couldn't be more excited. First of all, we're dealing with a lot of toddlers between the two of us. And then secondly, this is one of the names that comes up over and over and over again when we ask our community who they want on the podcast. Kristen is a mama of two toddlers, and Dina is a child therapist, a parent coach, and a mom-to-be. I'd love to get started by hearing about how Big Little Feelings came to be, including where the idea came from and how the two of you know each other. Okay, cool. Well, I'm Dina. I'll kick it off for us. So I'm a child therapist or really a licensed marriage and family therapist who focuses specifically on parenting and working with really young kids, zero to five. And for me as a child therapist, I just really wanted to make the best and most effective tips and tricks available for parents to use at home because toddlerhood can be can be a really kind of like tough phase. And there are so many things we can do at home to, one, help us as parents get through these times, but also do it in a way that builds resilience for your kids right from the start. So that was one piece of it. And then there's Kristen, who's the other half. Yeah. So Dina and I, by the way, met, we've met in Los Angeles. We actually grew up together. So it's crazy because we launched Big Little Feelings in March. So COVID happened. And so no one actually gets to see us together, but we are our best friends. We've been best friends for a long time. We used to see each other every month. And I, as a mom of two toddlers, found toddlerhood to be extremely challenging. Like, I am a researcher, I am a planner, and I read every baby book that existed under the sun, and there was not the same prep for the toddler stage. It kind of just drops off right after that baby in the pregnancy stage. Um, And so I found myself texting Dina a ton. Luckily, I had a best friend who was a child therapist. Yeah, that's convenient. (laughs) It really worked out for me. And, you know, there are certain things that in the child therapy world that aren't necessarily that I was finding that wasn't super, super practical. It was really, really high level, really, you know, grow the attachment, make sure you don't do this or that. But there was nothing really that was firm. Like, okay, yes, I want attachment. Yes. I want, like, I love my child so much, but what do I do when they won't stop pooping their pants? Like, is there something we can do? Or how do I take away a pacifier without completely, you know, just traumatizing her? And that's where we had this idea. We couldn't find anything else out there like it, where there was a child therapy aspect of it. And then there were real strategies that 
real hot mess moms like me can actually realistically do every day. Okay. And full disclosure, you two, I knew that whole answer because I have been pouring over your feed and resources to prep for this interview. And I've just found it to be such a helpful resource. Uh, I fell in love with your message. So one thing that I loved right from the start is what you were just speaking about is how relatable and honest you two are. You're coming from a place of understanding that parenting toddlers is very demanding. I think anyone that's done it can agree. And sometimes they push our buttons to the brink. So I would love to hear more from you, Kristen, on why showing up and sharing the hard days is an important part of your business. You know, this was a piece that we decided early on um, because to be honest, it was a little bit, not a little bit, it was pretty risky. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. If you think about Instagram, if you think about it as a business, it's quite risky because it didn't really exist before. But my personal experience was after my second baby, when Instagram was really, you know, lots and lots of parenting things out there, um, I had postpartum anxiety disorder. And I kept scrolling through Instagram and scrolling through Instagram. And all I saw, I saw perfectly clean houses. And I saw, you know, um, everybody has their hair and their makeup done. And they have two toddlers at home. And it appears that the toddler is perfectly behaved. And the mom is a therapist herself. And I just think, oh, she looks so calm. She must be so calm all the time. I could never do this because they don't look like me. They don't sound like me. Their house doesn't look like my house does. Um, So it was really important, at least to me from the start, to first of all, make moms right off the bat feel like they're not alone. Um, And then second of all, feel empowered that you don't need to be perfect. You don't need to be a child therapist. You don't need to nail it every time to be able to feel empowered in your parenting. It doesn't have to be we always say progress, not perfection. And that's true even for us. So I love showing that. Well, it speaks so loudly on your feed and definitely in your story. It's just completely relatable. So thank you for that. Dina, we had to sneak in this interview before you meet your first baby. So what an exciting season for you. And as a child therapist, I'm sure in some ways you feel so equipped for this job. But we've had other experts come on and say that even with all the training, all the resources, they still have hard days or moments that they wish they would have handled differently. So is giving yourself grace as a new mama something that you've spent any time thinking about as you prepare to meet this sweet baby? Actually, yes, a ton. So I'm someone who loves, you know, like meditation and reflection and mindfulness. And that's been a huge part of my personal prep is just embracing that I am human. And yes, I'm an expert in toddlerhood and this is what I do. And at the same time, you know, all my past childhood experiences, the way I was parented are so deeply wired into me that I'm of course going to have my own triggers. They're going to pop up. Like I already know one of them, whenever a kid runs towards the street, it like sends me to my edge. But luckily I think that's a big part of what we wanted to give parents in our course, especially is just game plans. Because when you have a plan, you have some concrete strategy that you can kind of reach to when you are at your edge, when you're just kind of, you know, pushed to your limit, it really does help. So it's both. I'm happy I have some plans and it's going to be a growing process for me too. I'm ready. 
Well, I'm so excited to see how it goes for you. Um, and I cannot wait for you to meet that little boy so soon. Maybe by the time this episode airs, she'll probably have a little boy in her arms. I'm when, ready to pop into labor here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll send you into labor with our hard-hitting <laughs> questions. Um, but when we put our Instagram box up in our stories to gather questions, I cannot tell you guys how many replies we got. Just like us, people love your tangible advice. And so we're hoping to squeeze a lot of, out of it, out of you two today so that people can plug it right in. Here's a quote I saw on your feed that I wanted to start with. It says, when our little people are overwhelmed by big emotions, it is our job to share our calm, not to join their chaos. I love that quote. Can you start by diving into why raising our voices or other strong reactions that we might have as parents might not be the best way to handle our toddler's big emotions? Well, there are a few different kind of angles here. One of them being toddlerhood specific, which is when we have really strong reactions, especially with our pre-verbal toddlers, but with all toddlers, Sometimes a really big reaction can actually accidentally reinforce an unwanted behavior, right? So if they're, we'll say, hitting, and you come to them with a really, really big reaction, well, that can seem really fun to them and funny, like a game almost, and accidentally reinforce that hitting. Um, but there are other reasons too, which is, when our kids are totally dysregulated, meaning they're, they're really just not able to manage their emotions in that moment because toddler specific, again, their brains are completely under construction at this age. The parts of their brains that help with language, so finding words to describe what's going on and share that with someone, also the areas of their brain that help them understand and manage their really big feelings, they're just completely under construction still. So that's why we'll see them melt down over things that to us as adults, we're like, it's not that big of a deal, you know? And, and because of their language skills, again, you'll see them really express through their bodies. So like flailing on the ground. Now in those moments, if we bring our chaos to their chaos, it's just so much harder for them to calm down. So in those moments, we want to just contain their energy, connect with them on how they're feeling. And we'll get into all this. We'll give you part of what we love to do is give scripts that parents can kind of keep in their pocket and adapt to certain situations. But that's a big piece of it. And I loved what you said there, saying under construction, that just almost softens the parent right there, just being more understanding. Um, it can be so, so hard though. It can be so hard. I know one of my husband's um, struggles and one of his triggers is the after work, after daycare, screaming meltdowns that occur almost every night. He says for him, it's just the sheer volume of our middle child, Trey. He's almost three. Just that shriek is very triggering. So how would you advise a parent that feels triggered by the tantrum? Yeah, so this is incredibly common. First of all, not only after daycare, right? They're exhausted. It's been a long day. 
Um, and then it's incredibly common that it would trigger you as an adult. If you think about it, you're having this really, really loud like alarm bell. And so when you hear an incredibly loud alarm bell, your whole body tenses up and you're just going up, right? Um, we, the reason that we provide scripts, the specific reason is that oftentimes when we're in the middle of a meltdown, a tantrum or a power struggle, we're trying to reason with our toddler. We're exhausted too. We're in this. And so your toddler is upset about something maybe probably ridiculous. And then you're like, well, what are you talking about? It's the purple. We're going up and up and up and up what's called, we call the escalation ladder. And a really great way to completely prevent power struggles is to not be that second party. There's no such thing as a power struggle if there's only one person. What you have is just a toddler that's really upset. So that's why we give the scripts so that you can, okay, we're going in this and I'm going to say the same kind of three framework thing that we do every time and just kind of repeat that mantra over and over and over you're not negotiating and you're not escalating so so after um daycare or school that's a good example so we would probably recommend that you would you first always see them and okay the feeling let's say maybe you had screen time right after daycare and you're closing the ipad and they start just you know freaking out you're gonna say it's okay to feel sad. I see you're feeling sad about the iPad closing. That oftentimes can be enough because a lot of the times we as parents accidentally say things like, you're fine, you're fine. I told you a million times, like, why are you even screaming? And that kind of makes them escalate more because they're not being seen, they're not being heard. Exactly. And so after you okay that feeling, you say it's okay to feel sad that the iPad time is done now. Next, you're going to want to hold the boundary. So this means saying, iPad time is done. We're going to go play outside now. And not going back on that, but really sticking to it. If you said one more episode and it's done now, I want you to calmly, confidently hold the boundary by removing the iPad, putting it out of reach, putting it out of sight, and sticking to that. Because if we... You know, if we're pushed to our limits and they're melting down, they're screaming and crying. And I understand you just want it to stop. So you say, okay, five more minutes or okay, one more episode, but I mean it. That's the last one. Well, one for a toddler, that's extremely confusing to go back and forth on what's being said and what's being done. Because next time they don't really understand what they can expect. So we want to be super consistent. If we say one more episode, when that's done, even if there are big feelings, it goes away. But also if they do tantrum or scream or cry or whatever it is, and we give in, they also just learn that, well, if I keep going hard enough and long enough and strong enough, I might actually get more of what I want next time. So I'm going to use that strategy. So that's exactly why we want to stick to that boundary. Okay, because we got a we got a specific question about this. Um, one of our listeners said, "Say that at first you okay. Say that you're you give that your toddler a cup and it's a blue cup, and then they start screaming because they really wanted the purple cup. If you say no at first." 
is it too late to change your mind if you're like, I really could just grab this other cup. It's not that big of a deal. Do you want to avoid that? It really depends on on what you value in your home and as your family and where you could see this going, right? So in this specific case, it's also very similar to eating, where I could see this exact same scenario, you hand them a waffle, and they say no waffle. And it's like, well, I could easily go get cereal. It's the same kind of concept, where usually in this case, we would recommend perhaps starting out with giving your toddler a choice, because that makes them feel powerful, right? That's what we always kind of recommend right from the start. Do you want the red cup? Or do you want the blue cup between two options? Once they then pick the blue cup, we're probably going to want to stick with the blue cup because the the danger, if you will, is that tomorrow you're going to scuffle back. You're going to go get the red cup. You hand her the red cup. And I don't want the red cup. Now I want that because it's not about the cup. Okay. It's probably not about the cup. They're needing some sort of emotional, you know, release and having kind of this power struggle and it's going to be never ending. So unless you are prepared to get 25 different cups, which for me irritates me, you know, I, I, it's not what I want to do. And we always kind of recommend rather than doing that, nip it right in the bud. And they're not really, it's not going to be a thing next time. You're not going to be getting 30 different meals, 30 different cups back and forth. True. And they really do settle into boundaries. When you start holding them consistently, if this is a change for your household, when you do it consistently for a few days, you'll start to see that they settle into it. They understand that that boundary doesn't change. And then you'll start to see those tantrums and the pushback subside too. Mm, Yeah. And setting those boundaries, we deal with that a lot in our household with not setting those boundaries, but giving them the option to start off. I love that idea. Great, great plan. Okay. So we also received a ton of questions about discipline and it feels like people are really wanting to move away from timeouts, but don't know what to do instead of a timeout. So can you advise, how do you handle discipline for something like hitting or kicking? We know not to raise our voices and get really big on our emotional level, but what would you do instead? Well, discipline, first of all, can just be very confusing because there are so many different things out there and you know, we get this all the time too, which is like, do I put them in timeout? Do I spank them? Do I ignore them? Mm-hmm. And so just to start, the true meaning of discipline, when you look at the root of the word, is to teach. So when we're disciplining, it's actually more helpful to think of yourself as their life teacher, their emotion coach. So you're teaching them how to handle big feelings, things that they want or need, and how to do it safely and constructively. Um, so let's walk through, you said hitting and kicking, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. Let's go through that example together and use our BLF kind of like framework. Ooh, I like this. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. So whatever the situation is, the tantrum, the meltdown at hand, like Kristen was saying earlier, there's kind of this three-step framework that we want to follow. So first we okay the feeling. I see that you're mad right? It's okay to feel mad. Now we're going to hold the boundary. It's not okay to hit. I'm going to move my body. So that's in this case with hitting, the boundary is both saying it's not okay to hit, but also taking action by moving your body away 
so that they really see there's something happening here. And then this is a key part. We call it shift to the yes, which is teaching them things that they can do. And when it comes to anything aggressive, like hitting or kicking, the best time to teach them how to handle their feeling that was going on or whatever need was coming up for them is later when they're calmer. Because again, the toddler brain and actually any adult brain too, when we are totally in like rage, just meltdown mode, we can't take in new information. We can't really talk. We can't reason or think. It's just human nature. So the best time to teach them what they can do is later at a totally different moment. And you can teach them Yes, next time you're feeling so mad, you can hit this pillow. Next time you're feeling so mad that your brother took your toy, you can say, hey, I'm not done with that yet. You can have it when I'm done and practice those tools. Yeah, and I think that it's just this, I think parents get in into this cycle because I think timeouts are kind of the more common mainstream or, or has been for a little while here and it's kind of starting to phase out. But so many parents find themselves in this desperate, desperate cycle because the child is angry and they hit. And then, I mean, truthfully, a lot of times the parent is also then angry. Like, what are you doing? You can't do that. So they said it's a punishment, right? It's punishment-based discipline, even a timeout. And so the child is through the roof angry, like Dina saying, dysregulated, just outcome. We kind of call it, you know, like out of their mind a little bit. Nothing is going in. No reasoning, no teaching. And then they're being taught to be kind of like left alone with that. And the punishment-based kind of discipline it's what do you what is that child feeling in that moment do you think that child is thinking there while they're angry and alone in a corner hmm how can I hit do this differently next time I think that they're usually kind of like seething or feeling shame or feeling like I'm a bad kid and instead what we recommend is in those really those moments just we call it connecting and containing so when they're angry when they're kind of out of control all we're trying to do in that moment is just contain the moment focus on safety is everybody safe i won't let you hit i'm moving baby sister over here i won't let you very calmly and then the thing that's missing from that timeout punishment cycle is that teaching part where it's like, okay, what Dina was saying, what can we do better? What are coping skills for next time? Exactly. And that's super huge because when you look at the science of it, what you'll actually see is that when we kind of like isolate or reject or abandon our child in those big feeling moments by sending them into time out, one, we're showing them that big feelings are not really safe or welcome in our family. And again, how are they going to learn how to deal with those and handle those big feelings constructively if we're kind of isolating them? But also the science shows, if you look at brain imaging, that the experience of relational pain that's caused by that rejection, it looks really similar to physical pain in terms of brain activity. So that's a huge piece, I think, of why we're starting to see people really embrace moving away from timeouts. Tina and Kristen, there are so many good nuggets in this already. This is all making such perfect sense. One thing that was written in and that we've personally struggled with in our household is lying. So to give you some context, our four-year-old was throwing a fit at daycare that her tummy hurt, like 
her tummy really, really hurt. We went and picked her up thinking that she was sick. We got her home and all of a sudden she was perfectly fine. So other times our kids will say that they are drawing on the wall or that their brother drew on the wall. We don't know the difference between who is saying the lie and who is saying the truth. So how do we handle lying around this age? Well, okay. First of all, to put you at ease, I just want to say it's something that pretty much all toddlers explore. Oh, okay. And there's, yeah, there's no need to punish <laughs> it or discipline it. Um, so let's let's go over that. There are a few different reasons why toddlers might lie. One is it's just a new behavior that they're starting to explore. At this age, you'll start to see them tell like you know tall tales, and that's okay. Right, Their imagination right. is forming. Sometimes, like you're saying about daycare, it might be their way of trying to get some care and attention and comfort. If they're feeling nervous or shy, maybe they need a little extra support. Or if you've seen, you know, if you've had maybe um, changes in your family, sometimes they need (laughs) extra support. If you've moved homes or there's a new baby, they might just need a little bit more attention. And lying can sometimes be that call to mom and dad for a little bit more attention. But there's another piece too. Sometimes they lie because they don't want to be in trouble, right? Like who drew on the wall? (laughs) Well, that's why it's helpful to kind of go with um, some of the game plans for discipline in our course, which start to move away from things like spanking and timeout and harsh scolding. Because with those types of punishments, it's very natural for a child to want to avoid that. And so it can accidentally reinforce lying because they don't want to feel hurt or isolated or shamed. So in those moments, us staying calm to really get through that hard moment and then later focusing on teaching them how to handle the moment constructively next time, that's the true meaning of discipline again. So those are some reasons that they often might be lying. Yeah. And that makes sense. I feel like one thing I've gathered from this interview so far is that often I think as parents, we want to deal with situations right in the moment, but rather it could be a good idea to let everyone kind of calm down and then circle back around to whatever happened. Another huge question that we got again and again was about potty training. So for one second, I'm going to give my non-expert opinion here. Um, I feel like people get so in a rush and oversold on potty training because they feel like it's going to be life-changing. I see a lot of my friends do like um, boot camps for their kids to try to train them really quickly. Um, There's all this pressure on the parent and on the child. Now, I would love to learn more about your expert tips and your strategies is this something that parents can decide, okay, it's time I want to potty train? Or do we really need to take a look for clues and cues that the child is ready? Well, I'll kick us off here. There are a few cues and clues that we can start to watch for. So one of them is just that they're becoming aware of their body. And when you see this developing, they'll often retreat to a private place to poop. They'll communicate to you when they are going. And then there's a physical component too, where they've developed enough of their physical um, capabilities to be able to hold in their bowel movements. 
And you'll notice that because the dry times start extending and they'll be really having more predictable kind of bowel movements. And also between 20 to 30 months is what we see as kind of that sweet spot for potty training when they've developed enough to really engage in this. Yeah. And I think it's really, it's really a combination. And I think <laughs> this is, I'm laughing because I'm the worst at this. Where <laughs> I, I, as a parent, hear somebody say something in the middle ground and I'm like, just tell me what to do. Like, can't you tell me one or yeah, the yeah, other? Yeah. No, I hate that. But it really, <laughs> it really is a combination where sometimes kids can self-initiate and they'll walk themselves all the way through potty training. But, you know, like with most things like bedtime, does your toddler choose what time they go to bed? Do they choose, you know, those big things? They probably would never go to bed, right? Mm-hmm. If we let them choose. So it's really a combination. Like you said, it, it it's not so much this, this race of like doing it sooner or doing it soonest. And it's kind of a combination of, okay, I, as a parent, am kind of in charge and leading the show and I'm 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 picking those big things like what time they go to bed, what they're eating, when they're eating. So for potty training, I as a parent I'm seeing my child give me cues. Like Dina said, the you know, going to a private place, um, telling you I'm going poo-poo, things like that. And so following their lead in the sense of they're giving you cues, but then we do recommend consistency as being the best way. And again, there are so many different ways out there, you guys, that truly you should do what is best for your family. But what we see kind of is the most successful and low stress for most parents is once we see the cues, then you as a parent kind of decides and says, okay, today is the day. This is what we're doing. This is how we're doing it. You're prepping them. You're, you're going forward and you're really, you're really trying. You're really doing it from that place forward. So our second is two and a half years old and he's doing all the cues, but we're not being consistent. So I'm going to take this home and we can talk with Colin about this. We also, when with a five week old at home, nothing's consistent, but (laughs) uh, we'll we'll get there. So let's switch gears a little bit. One thing Amy and I were talking about recently is parental preferences and attachment. So if a child happens to prefer one parent over the other, is this normal? Is this part of that developmental phase? And does it have anything to do with which sex the parent is? So example, Amy has all boys. She has three boys and all of them are really obsessed with her. And I find that our toddler boy is also, he just prefers me. So what can we do when a child is showing preference? Because we probably can all agree that it can't fall on just one parent. And I know it can be really, really hard for the other parent. They can start to take it personally. So give us all your tips and insight. Yeah. So this is definitely common. You see this happen in the toddler phase and it doesn't always have to do with sex necessarily, but when it does pop up, there's a plan that we want to follow to help really um, like alter this and help them embrace both parents. Cause first of all, I mean, it can cause just a lot of chaos in the house when this is going on a lot of big feelings. And also as a parent, it can feel really kind of like heartbreaking or frustrating when this is going on. So, can I insert really quickly? Cause Dina is going to give you guys the best plan, but can I just insert really quickly? Yeah, of course. I thought it was a sex thing. And now after, cause I'm like, Oh, my little girl loves me. She loves me. She loves me. And now I have two girls. And the second one is like, 
like if daddy's not around, she loses her mind. And it's like <sighs> right now we're doing, we're literally doing the plan that Dina's about to tell you because bedtime rolls around and it's only daddy. She only wants daddy. And I always thought, God, in a, a little teeny, I'm being totally honest, right? This is what we're about. Transparency. A little teeny piece of me was like, God, it would kind of be nice sometimes to not be the preferred parent, you know, like I everything, you know, like he gets out of so much. And now I realize how heartbreaking it is to be on the side of somebody shrieking, daddy, no mommy. So that's my uh, relatable. I'm totally in it. It's heartbreaking. Totally. And actually, you know what, let's use bedtime as an example as we go through this, because that can be one place to start. That's super helpful. So if you're experiencing kind of this parent preference dynamic going on in your home. Step one is let's pick one thing to be super consistent about. So in this case, we're going to pick bedtime. Step two is you're going to prep. So that means getting your toddler ready to switch off between mom and in this example, dad will say are in the home and we're going to switch off bedtime. So prep might sound like starting tonight, mommy and daddy are going to take turns doing bedtime. We both love you so much, so we're going to switch off saying goodnight to you. It's daddy's turn, and tomorrow it's mommy's turn. I can't wait. So step three is really using a chart, making it visible in your home that shows mom and dad switching off nights because toddlers do so well if you have a visual aid that helps them understand what they can expect The toddler brain just does not love surprises. It really adds to meltdowns. So making a chart that they then can kind of be that leader, you're giving them some age-appropriate power by asking them to be the one to go check the chart for that night. So can you go check the chart and see whose turn it is? Yes, it's daddy's turn. Good work. So having them then put maybe a check mark or a sticker next to it, it just really makes it feel like it's theirs. And that can really shift them from power struggle mode to collaborate mode more easily. And then you're going to reinforce it. So whoever's turn it was will say, I had so much fun doing bedtime with you. I can't wait until next time. And then of course, when we start implementing this plan, it is so normal to get pushback, to have big tears, big feelings over it. And in those moments, you're going to use our same strategy again of really okaying the feelings, but holding that boundary, which in this example, it might sound like, you know, I hear you want mommy to do bedtime. Tonight, it's daddy's turn. You're feeling sad. I'm excited to do bedtime with you tomorrow and staying firm and loving with that boundary because that will help them settle into this much more quickly if you consistently stick with it. And I have to personally thank you guys because I saw this on your Instagram feed. If you guys are not following them, absolutely give them a follow. Um, And we started both of the toddlers, our three-year-old and our four-year-old go to bed at the same time. And I was always putting the oldest to bed because he was throwing the bigger fit for me, even though the three-year-old also wanted me. So now we're super consistent. We switch every night, my husband and I, who's putting who to bed. Um, And now the boys know what to expect. They know that we're going to stick to the plan and it's gone a lot smoother for us. 
We did get a ton of questions about bedtime. Um, For some people, it has become a battle and it is a really hard time for both the children and the parents. So along with maybe a visual chart, is there any coaching that you could give people that are really struggling with their toddlers at bedtime? Yeah, so we have a full, we we love bedtime, honestly. (laughs) We have a full bedtime module in our course and, you know, knock on every piece of wood, but bedtime is like the smoothest time in my house. And I think it's because we're just really prepared. We cycle through these sort of bedtime game plans over and over and over. So I think a lot of times somebody sees a chart, right? And the chart works and it's great. And we highly recommend starting with the chart, by the way. In this case, you'll want to do the same thing, except minus the mom and dad. Instead, you'll do, you know, first toothbrush, then this, then this, and let your child check it off. That's an example. But then if that's, you know, starts to lose its luster and you're still fighting bedtime battles, it's these other game plans that we have really putting our toddler in charge of something small, like the chart. And the other side of it is being that calm, confident leader. It really is both sides. And I think that's sometimes where parents kind of it's one or the other, right? We're either really stern, really strict, really authoritarian, and that's going to lead to a lot of no's. You know, like, get in your room right now. That's going to be a disaster. And on the other side, if we're letting our toddler lead the show and give way too many choices, way too open-ended, back and forth and back and forth and okay and come back out, that's a disaster too. So for everything bedtime and life, really, we recommend the parent is in charge of the big stuff. What time we go to bed, when we go to bed, and what is happening in the routine. We are deciding how many books even, right? Because if we let our toddler choose how many books, they're picking 35, right? (laughs) (laughs) And then in that, we are letting our toddler feel like they're super involved and in control with those little things like whether it's a chart or another one example that we have is putting them in charge of saying goodnight to their bunnies or something. So Charlie, can you go grab your bunnies? It's time for night night and making a little bed, maybe even in their room, which kind of gets them from downstairs to upstairs because they're in charge of tucking their little bunny into their bunny little beds. And when they're role playing that, it's kind of taking away from that no and putting them into, I'm in charge, I'm doing this. Exactly. And like, I love what she's saying with giving a choice, it can really make a huge impact. And with the books, like parent decision, if you picked, okay, we're reading two books, maybe they get to pick which two books, and then you hold that boundary. To the thousands of women listening who bedtime is not the smoothest time of their day. My day is not perfect. My day oh. is not perfect. <laughs> we just, we have it down because we have got like a lot of strategies to rotate through. And oh. doing it so consistently. So consistently. I'm just, it's just the boundaries do not shift here. They don't. I'm, I'm learning consistent. that this consistency is just so key. It's just so key with everything you keep on saying here, being consistent. You guys just sold us on the course. So <laughs> I now, is that my housewives episode is waiting. And so the consistency <laughs> is happening. You know what I mean? We're whipping out the game plans. I'm being consistent. And mama's watching housewives. It's 7.15. Oh, you guys cracked me up. <laughs> I'm a new mama of three, and a very common question that keeps popping up is, 
what do I do if I need to help one of the kids through a tantrum or a really tough moment, but I don't have the time to do it right then? I need to help the other ones too. So what would be your guidance on this type of situation? Well, I'm glad you say that because that's real life, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Sometimes we see these pages and it's like, oh my God, I can't really fit that in to my lifestyle. But safety is always the top priority when you have multiple kids. So if somebody is hitting, like for example, if you need to move the baby because someone's hitting, that's the priority is to go move the baby away from the hitter. But if you're having multiple meltdowns, what you're going to do is make direct eye contact with the one melting down who's not maybe going to get your attention in that exact moment and let them know, I see you and I'm going to come back to you. And that alone, just helping them feel cared for and important and seen and valued can have a huge, huge beneficial impact for them. So you'll see them, let them know you're going to come back to them. And then do circle back when you have a moment and say, you know, I I saw you were feeling so sad. I'm here for you and be with them. And, you know, as mothers, it's so hard to see our kids upset and to see them melting down and having a hard time. And I think that we, like me too, I, I have to tell you that I am, I'm, I struggle with um, the part that feels like I'm not doing it or that I'm not helping enough. But objectively, I know that when the other one is having a hard time, when they are crying, when they are sad, that's okay. It's okay for, let's say we're feeding the baby and the toddler is sad or they're upset about it just looking at them and saying, it's okay to feel sad. I'm helping Shelby right now. I'll be with you in two minutes. And knowing that they are safe, they are contained and it's okay to be sad. They're perfectly okay in that moment and not to let that guilt eat you up. Remembering they're safe. They're okay. We're okay. This is part of it. And that's actually, I'm so happy you brought it up. It's a huge part of why okaying the feeling is step number one just in terms of resilience and emotional well-being, it is so healthy to express and let out big feelings. And when we say big feelings, we mean the ones that are uncomfortable and difficult, like sadness and anger and frustration and fear. And so just letting them express that is so healthy. Mm, I love that. I mean, even as adults, like being able to feel your feelings, you know, it's something that we all have to do. We are going to shift gears a little bit because Kristen, you have to tell me more about hotel night. I know it's something that you and your husband have put into place. So first explain it for us. And then second, tell us why you don't feel guilty taking time away. Yeah. So we, I guess I'm trying to think, we've been doing it. I think, I think the first time I did a, a hotel night, which by the way, is I take a night at a hotel by myself. Um, I believe I started when Lou, whenever Lou was not, my first was not breastfeeding anymore. That's kind of, you know, the trickier part is if you're breastfeeding, it's way harder. So once she stopped breastfeeding after that point, it was, you know, three times a year. Now we're kind of amping it up now that our kids are a little bit older. So we're able to maybe four or five times a year. And I just go and I sit by a pool and I go to Chipotle and I, I just do whatever I want. I sleep, I nap. (laughs) It's magical. Um, And, you know, it, 
why don't I feel guilty? Because exactly when I, when we post hotel night, when I post my hotel nights, we get pretty much a million messages being like, yes, yes, yes. I'm doing this. I'm doing this. I'm doing this. But then we also get, you know, quite a few that are like, don't you feel guilty? Don't you feel horrible? Don't. And, and I actually truly don't. I really don't. And I think that I personally know and see what a difference it makes when I'm home with my kids all day long and I'm feeling kind of by the end of the day no matter how great of a day it is you're just tired you're just kind of bogged down you're just kind of everything is you know in your body you just feel it and I used to go to Orange Theory twice a week and I would go for one hour and when I came back I was like yeah bedtime give me that baby like I missed her so much I feel amazing I had like endorphins I just needed that hour and so for me taking that time for Orange Theory or taking a larger time for a hotel night it's actually the least selfish thing that I can do because when I push myself and push myself and and drag and drag and drag, I end up not quite honestly not being the best mom. I end up being short with them. I'm snapping at them. I'm, I'm kind of, you know, losing it. I'm losing my cool with them. And we literally even put it in our course as people ask us, how do you stay calm? How do you not lose it in the moment? It's a way bigger picture that, if you're feeling restored and you're feeling replenished, you're going to be able to have some perspective in that moment and not lose it because you're feeling good that day. So you can't pour from an empty cup, basically. And then the other side of it, too, that I'm really aware of is there's just motherhood in general. Whenever we look and we watch movies or we watch shows or we watch whatever we do, it's this like very disheveled looking mom with three babies on her and dad's drinking a beer on the couch and she's kind of trailing around everybody and she's exhausted and she's doing everything. And I don't want my daughters to see motherhood as that. I don't want them to grow up and think that they need to push their own needs down and that they need to just kind of suffer through it. I want them to enjoy it. And if I had sons, I would want them to see the same thing. Oh, we are so aligned on this subject. And for me, it did take some practice, if I'm really honest. But then once you start feeling that rejuvenation, um, you can see like the goodness that you can bring back into the household and why it is important. Yes, your kids are happier. It's not just about you being happier. Your kids are happier, having a better mom. Mm. This has been so good. Thank you, Kristen. Thank you, Dina. And it's safe to say you have so many adoring fans and Amy and I, we are two of them. So please let everyone know where they can find a little bit more of you. Yeah. So find us on Instagram. We're at Big Little Feelings. We do scripts every other day and then tips and tricks every day. Our stories are full of them too. And then you can always get our course. It's called Winning the Toddler Stage. You can find it. There's a link in bio on Instagram or at biglittlefeelings.com. And um, we just post and we put in our course every single <laughs> toddler problem under the sun. Like time, potty time, you know, car seat battles even, siblings, new baby. We just wanted to make toddlerhood a little bit easier and for you guys to know exactly what to say and do in those tough moments. 
And you guys are doing it and you're pouring so much good information into the world. So thank you so much. For anyone listening, if you found this episode to be helpful, if you would take a screenshot and tag Big Little Feelings and Herself Podcast in your story. 